We brought the weather down with us. We thought we'd, you'd appreciate that. Right now up in Anderson Island, it's sunshine, blue skies, perfect weather. But it is really, really good uh, to be here with you this morning. I want to thank Pastor Roger for inviting me to come and speak. It's really great to be back. Believe it or not, it's been more than f- almost four years uh, since the Lord uh, moved us on. Uh, and during that time, Margie and I have greatly missed, and we continue to deeply love this very, very special uh, church family that uh, I had the privilege of pastoring, and Margie and I had the, had the privilege of serving for almost, well, actually a little over 25 years. We came here in 1992, and uh, I think I was uh, 12, and Margie was 11, I think. <laughs> But it's so gratifying to see how the Lord has uh, just richly blessed this church under the leadership of, of Pastor Roger. God is so good. And, a good. and again, it's good to be back. I was once told that whenever a, a pastor leaves a church, the people are either mad, sad, or glad. Uh, <laughs> there are a few who are mad. Uh, maybe because they have a sense they're angry, or maybe they feel like they're abandoned, or maybe they feel like they're deserted. Uh, or maybe they're upset that the pastor didn't leave a whole lot sooner. I don't know. <laughs> then there are some that are glad. Maybe they're just uh, getting tired of the same old jokes from the pulpit and uh, they needed a change. But I think most, like Margie and I, uh, were sad because change is often difficult and transitions are often painful. After serving here for uh, 25 years, I think leaving this church family was probably one of the most difficult, if not the most difficult, transition uh, that Margie and I have ever gone through in our 42 years of ministry. In those 25 years, I counted up that I had preached over 800 sermons, told a lot of the same jokes. I performed at least 60 weddings, all the weddings. All three of the Wasman girls and the two Clark boys and so many others, and a few of you here this morning, uh, officiated at more than 50 funerals. Uh, a lot of faces, a lot of people that uh, we miss that uh, we've lost over the years. We've celebrated literally hundreds of baptisms and child dedications. A lot of memories here. A lot of wonderful things. All by God's grace, and we praise the Lord for that. But you know what? It's not about statistics. It's about relationships. And that's why leaving a church family, any church family, especially this church family, is so and was so very difficult. And yet God had a new journey of faith for us. God had a new journey of faith for Foothills Church as well. You know, in that transition a couple of years ago, um, there were two verses of promise that we hung on to. The first is Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. I love this verse, very familiar. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him, and he will make your path straight. And the second verse is very similar. Uh, Isaiah 26.3, The steadfast of mind you will keep in perfect peace because he trusts in you. i got to be honest, there were many a night after we left that I thought, what have I done? <laughs> you know, I'd, I'd be staring at the ceiling at 3 a.m. in the morning, and I'd be kind of caught up with, with the whole thing, wondering what was going to happen, where we would end up. And I remember repeating this verse over and over and over again during those dark nights where I, I started to kind of second-guess myself. The steadfast of mind you will keep in perfect peace because he trusts in you. The steadfast of mind you will keep in perfect peace because he trusts in you. You see, faith in God and the peace of God are inseparably linked together. When you have the one, you have the other. As we stepped out, it was both the faith and the peace that sustained us. 
as we moved forward knowing that God had wonderful things in store for both us and this church family. But it wasn't easy. But God is so faithful. When we left, uh, someone came up to me and said, man, what you guys are doing is so Abrahamic. And I agreed, you know. In other words, just like Abraham, just like Sarah, we were leaving home and family and all that was familiar without a clue as to how in the world we were going to leave it all and where we would end up. Genesis uh, 12.1 tells us, Now the Lord said to Abram, Go forth from your country and from your relatives and from your father's house to the land which I will show you. God suddenly told them to leave their home, Ur of the Chaldees, and basically journey to what God called the promised land. And I want you to imagine how Abraham and Sarah may have felt. Abraham asked the question, God, where is this promised land? God said, I'll tell you when you get there. Abraham said, well, how long is it going to take? God said, you'll know when you get there. Abraham asked, well, which direction are we supposed to go? God said, I'll lead you along and you'll know when we get there. <laughs> That's how God often works. And so Abraham and Sarah decided to leave everything and everyone that they knew and loved. And by faith, they headed out across 500 miles of desert to where God had promised would be a place as their new home. They knew that God had something special for them, but again, they didn't have a clue as to what that was. This morning, I want to share a little bit of that journey of faith and what lessons God taught us a few years ago and continues to teach us. And maybe uh, it will uh, be something you pick up a few tips about regarding your own faith, your own journey, your own walk uh, of, of faith with God. Before you ever go on a trip, first and foremost, there's always the preparation for the trip, right? The Bible doesn't tell us how Abe and Sarah uh, were prepared for that trip, but part of the preparation on going on any trip is knowing and understanding that divine guidance is promised. Divine guidance is promised. In other words, we're not at all called to wander through the wilderness without any purpose, without any direction, uh, without any plan. Just like the people of Israel, God promises to guide us. Psalm 32.8 declares, I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you with my eye upon you. Again, Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him, and he will make your path straight. I can't tell you the number of times where my, my path wasn't straight because I trusted in myself instead of the Lord. Isaiah 41, 10 exhorts us, do not fear, for I am with you. Do not anxiously look about you, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. Surely I will help you. Surely I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. What a wonderful promise. God promises guidance. God promises over and over again in his word that he will give us the divine guidance that we need, and so desperately. And so why is it that we struggle so hard sometimes to know and understand God's will? You might remember the joke about the pilot who during a flight announced over the, uh, what do you call that, intercom <laughs> to the passengers. He said, ladies and gentlemen, I have some good news and some bad news. The bad news is that our flight instruments are broke. We're totally lost. We have no idea where we're going. The good news is we're making excellent time. Well, you see, sometimes that's the problem. We're flying fast, but we're going in the wrong direction. The problem is not with God but with our failure to read his instruments and to trust and obey them. Divine guidance is promised. Uh, but we also understand that God, uh, divine guidance is prepared. 
In other words, God has a way of preparing you for the journey long before you even know you're going anywhere. And that was certainly the case with Margie and I. Five years before uh, we resigned here, Margie and I uh, went on what we called the uh, Great Fogel Family Adventure. And we shared this with you at the time. We felt that God was uh, asking us to let go. Not let go of, at that time we didn't understand that he wasn't calling us to let go here of, of our calling at Foothills, but let go of things, let go of debt. And so uh, we rented out our home. We decided to live more simply. We let go of our, our useless baggage. We sold a lot of our material uh, goods at that time. We let go of the, the bondage of busyness. We were just going, going, going. We, want, we wanted to live in the moment. We wanted to experience the freedom to serve more, give more, and live more of our lives with, with intentionality, with purpose. How did we do that and why? Well, we began, again, selling uh, um, a lot of our household goods, that, that extra car, uh, some of the furniture, a lot of the stuff that we just didn't need anymore. We decided, let's travel light. Let's get rid of all the, the junk. We began living what we called a backpack-ready backpack lifestyle. Backpack-ready lifestyle at that time. Uh, we began uh, house-sitting. Some of you uh, provided your home for a weekend here or a week there. We did some camping. We rented out a small place for uh, a, a time. We eliminated our, our high mortgage payments that were just swamping us, and we decided we needed to pay off our, our kids' college debt. Putting four kids through college has a way of being a, a kind of expensive. We wanted to get out of the bondage of being tied down uh, to the burden of so much materialism and so much consumerism. It's overwhelming. It robs us and, and rips us off of our faith and joy. In fact, we eventually decided to sell our home altogether. We paid off our remaining debt that we owed for our kids, and we gave more to the Lord's work, and we ruthlessly lived intentionally and proactively and, and more simply. And I've never felt more freedom uh, the bondage, I mean, not even a mortgage payment. It's liberating. And uh, again, the whole purpose was to be flexible, uh, to be free, to live kind of a countercultural lifestyle right here in Orange County so that we could do life, do, do more community, uh, love God more, love people more, be free from the, from the burden and the bondage. Now, how did we know that God was leading us? Good question. We always made a habit of always holding everything we have, including our calling, with an open hand. Remember, Corey Ten Boom one time said, I've learned to hold everything with an open hand because it hurts too much when God has to pry my fingers to take that which really does belong to him. Everything. Our time, our talents, and our treasures. And so every year, for 25 years, Margie and I would go away for a romantic weekend every year, and we would, uh, we would walk, and we would talk, and we would read, and we would pray, and we would dream dreams. And we always ask the same question, Lord, are you calling us to stay at Foothills another year? And every year, God told us, stay, bloom where you're planted, and so we moved forward. But in 2017, we asked that same question, and the answer was very uh, different this time. We realized that 2017 was a very special year for this church and for us. 2017 was a very pivotal year. Uh, we realized that the church was celebrating God's faithfulness of 30 years. 30 years. And we also uh, cele uh, celebrated that year 25 years that we had been here. And also, I, I turned 60, and I was feeling it. You know how you feel? Well... You're getting up there. How do you know? Uh, someone offered some adv uh, advice as to how you know you're getting up there. How do you know you're getting old? 
And there were some pieces of advice here. For example, you know you're getting old when you actually look forward to a dull evening at home. You know you're getting old when your mind makes commitments that your body can't keep. You know you're getting old when everything hurts and what doesn't hurt doesn't work. You know you're getting old when you sink your teeth into that big juicy steak and your teeth stay there. You know you're getting old when you dim the lights for economic reasons, not for romantic ones. You know you're getting old when you've owned clothes so long that they've come back into fashion twice. I remember long ago visiting my 95-year-old grandmother in a rest home, and I would always ask, Grandma, how you feeling? 95 years old, and she'd always give me the same answer. Bradley, don't ever get old. As if I could, <laughs> as if I could, if I had a choice, don't ever get old. But James 4.14 reminds us, you are just a vapor that appears for a little while and then vanishes away. You're just a vapor. All of life will soon be past. Only what's done for Christ will last. The good thing I'm discovering in my 60s is the fact that that really tends to sharpen your focus when you realize how short life really is. I feel like, you know, when you run the four laps around the, the one mile, and I feel like I can see the finish line. I'm on the final lap, and it's kind of a, a wake-up call. Life seems to be going quicker and quicker. English writer Samuel Johnson noticed that just before he went to the gallows a couple hundred years ago. He wrote this. He said, when a man knows he's about to be hanged, he declared, it concentrates the mind wonderfully. <laughs> I find that to be true. A few centuries later, nothing has really changed. Well, in 2017, uh, there were some other significant things happening in our life as well. It seemed like all the planets were kind of lining up. And while had, we had gone uh, through maybe a couple of rough patches for a couple of years, uh, Foothills Church was healthy. It was doing great. We realized that we had had a really good run, and we talked and we prayed together, and we asked that question again. Lord, are you calling us to stay at Foothills into 2018? And our sense was overwhelming that God was calling us to, he was releasing us from that, from that, from that calling uh, that we had here. How did we know? How did we know? Well, first of all, divine guidance is promised. Secondly, divine guidance is prepared. And thirdly, divine guidance is provided. Divine guidance is provided. And it comes to us in basically three ways, right? How do you know God is guiding you? How do you know what to look for? Well, first and foremost, we know that it is through the written word, the Bible. Hebrews 4.12 reminds us, for the word, is, uh, the word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword and piercing as far as the division of soul and spirit, of both joints and marrow, and able to judge the thoughts and intents of the heart. First, uh, 2 Timothy 3.16, all scripture is inspired by God. Theonoustos, God breathed. All scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. And so it is the scriptures that give us the clearest and safest guidance in our walk and our journey with the Lord. And true guidance is never contrary to Scripture. God will never lead us to do anything that he has expressly forbidden in his word. In other words, God will never guide you to do anything unethical, unbiblical, or immoral. A second source of divine guidance the Bible talks about is the inward promptings of the Holy Spirit. Romans 8, 14 says, For all who are being led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. 2 Corinthians 2.12, now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, that we might freely know the things given to us by God. 
Thirdly, God will often direct us through the indication of outward circumstances. Uh, Some call that the open and closed doors of opportunity. God will often use opportunities or the lack thereof to guide and direct us according to his will. And we could talk about the three more uncommon uh, indicators like miracles, visions, and dreams. And uh, God will use those as well. But those are rare. And I think we have to exercise extreme caution. When it comes to that kind of guidance, I'm open, but I'm cautious. Mainly there are three common ways that God directs us. The written word of God, the inner promptings of the Holy Spirit, and the indication of outward circumstances, open and closed doors. And at the time, four years ago, Margie and I sensed that God was confirming all three of those in our own decision to follow his will. You know, when all three of those agree, guidance is crystal clear. But if only one or two of those indicators is evident, then guidance might be just as sure. But again, the safeguard is that it will never contradict the clear teachings of Scripture. Again, God will never guide or direct us to do anything unbiblical, immoral, or unethical. Let me illustrate. Some of, you, some of you might remember how Margie celebrated her 50th birthday by jumping out of a perfectly good airplane. We drove out to Elsinore Air, Airstrip, and somebody gave her that gift, and Margie was given a 30-minute ground school before she boarded the plane. She was all excited, she said, to, to fall out of a plane at 10,000 feet. I stayed on the ground. I took pictures. That's all I could do. But the instructor corrected her and said, Margie, it's not called sky falling it's called sky diving why because falling is accidental diving is intentional and so there's an intentionality in jumping out of a perfectly good airplane well in the same way there was an intentionality in that God was having to stand at the open door of a of a of a plane so to speak a skydiving plane with a parachute of God's promises on my back and God was saying jump but I have to be honest I didn't want to jump at the time I didn't want to leave Why? Because this Foothills Church airplane is really comfortable. I've been flying it for 25 years. Why would I leave? Why jump out of a perfectly good airplane? On top of that, I love the co-pilot. I'm in love with her. She's great. And I love all the passengers on the plane. This is an awesome church. Why would I want to jump? We have a great flight crew, the leadership team, the elders, the staff. Why would I jump out of a perfectly good airplane? And so I asked God for a sign. I wanted an indicator, something more specific. I wanted some kind of a message from heaven. Maybe I was looking for that dream or that, uh, that, that, that miracle. And so I asked God for a specific sign. You see, once you jump, there's no jumping back into the plane again. So this was a big deal. So I asked asked God, show me something a little bit more specific. I want to make sure I'm standing there, I'm looking down, it's a long ways. How do I know? I kept waiting and waiting and waiting. I felt like the hiker at the Grand Canyon. You remember the story? He slipped and fell on the trail. Just before he would have plunged off a cliff that dropped over 800 feet into the canyon below, he managed to grab a small limb as he dangled precariously over the abyss. After trying to pull himself up for several minutes, he cried out in desperation, Is anybody there? Is anybody there? In a few seconds, the thundering voice of the Lord echoed across the canyon. "Uh, Yes, I am here. What do you need? The man pleaded, save me. Please save me. I can't hold on much longer. After another agonizing pause, the voice said, all right, I'll save you, but first you must turn loose of the limb and trust me to catch you. Just release your grip right now. My hand is underneath you. And the dangling man looked over his shoulder down to the steep canyon below, 
and he called out, is anybody else there? I asked God for a sign, an indicator, a message from heaven to confirm the jump. Is anybody there? And finally, God gave that sign to me in an unexpected way through a close friend. As I stood there at that open door of the plane knowing that I needed to jump, I was really hesitant. I was really reluctant to take that first step out into open space. And that sign came as a gentle nudge from a friend behind me that said, Brad, I think it's a good time for you to jump. Now, I didn't want to hear that necessarily, but you know what? A friend will tell you sometimes something that you don't want to hear, but you need to hear. That's all it took. I jumped, I grabbed Margie with me, and we both uh, went into free fall. <laughs> Hebrews 11.6 says this, Without faith, it is impossible to please him. It is impossible to make God happy without faith. It requires faith. Without faith, it is impossible to please him, for he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who seek him. We need to believe that he exists and that he is a good God. He's a provider. He's a rewarder of those who seek him. Hebrews 11.1 1 says, Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Our desire is to seek him, know him, love him, follow him, no matter what. No matter what. Margie and I were suddenly in free fall. We left the security. You know, a lot of times a pastor will go on sabbatical, but he's out looking for another church. <laughs> or he'll go on vacation, and he's really looking. We didn't do that. We knew God was telling us to go, like Ab Abram and Sarah, but we had no idea where we were to go. We left the security of this plane, and it was secure. Our stomachs were in our throats. Uh, the parachute did not open right away, and so we were in free fall. We had no idea where we were going to land, but we were confident we weren't going to crash. We knew God was going to lead us, and he was going to catch us. And we claim that wonderful promise in Isaiah 41.10. Do not fear. God says, do not fear, for I am with you. Do not anxiously look about you, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. Surely I will help you. Surely I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. We were also confident that as God was leading us to where we were to go, God was going to lead this church in the direction and the place that this church was to go, to go up from the 10,000 feet to 15 or 20,000 feet. And uh, we knew that as a church family grows high, uh, 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 flies higher to a greater altitude, new horizons open up. And that's certainly been the case in the last four years. God has proved again his faithfulness to this church family and the blessings as this family has soared over the last four years. Uh, and no matter where we are, we always have a sense of being a part of that blessing. And we praise God for that. So what happened after we left Foothills? Well, first of all, again, we were in free fall for about six months. When you're in free fall, it's scary. I mean, some of you have been in free fall maybe longer than that. But that's a long time to be without a job, without an income, no home, no church, and no destination. Free fall. I felt like the guy who jumped out of a 10-story building one time. On the way down, someone yelled from the fifth floor, how you doing? He said, so far, so good. It's not the fall that kills you, right? That sudden stop at the end. But Margie and I felt uh, we spent several weeks at the Fabian's uh, empty beach house up on Whidbey Island. Uh, kind of took a little mini sabbatical up there. We walked together. We talked. We prayed. We dreamed. Where does God want us to be? I thought, you know, it'd be kind of fun to be at Costco and be that guy or, uh, at, the, at the door with the, with the yellow marker. And the, I thought, you know, what a job. No pressure. You just smile at people. Say, have a nice day. Have a nice day. I thought, that's my job. It just doesn't pay anything. But, hey, 
<laughs> I thought about it. But for the next month, we took uh, an extended road trip. We went back east. We visited our, our kids in Washington, D.C. and in New York City, and we saw the grandkids. And we also went up to Gordon-Conwell Seminary. Uh, we were told to, uh, to check that out, and so we did a week training with IPM. IPM is Interim Pastoral Ministries. We were exploring the possibility of serving as an interim pastor at evangelical free churches around the country that needed a pastor. And uh, they needed someone to fill in uh, while they were finding a, a, new, a real pastor. In other words, I'm a substitute pastor uh, for about a year, year and a half. It takes about 12 to 18 months to find a pastor, as you well know. Rick's back there. Yeah, thanks a lot, Brad. <laughs> but in any case, we were accepted into the program, and uh, we were about to be called to a church in Marshalltown, Iowa. Uh, we returned up to Whidbey Island, and we were attending a church there in Langley. Langley is just a beautiful uh, town, a quintessential uh, northwestern town, and they were in need of an interim pastor. Uh, they, uh, they needed a pastor. Actually, they had an interim pastor, and we started attending there. And as they got to know us, they said, hey, why don't you apply uh, to be the pastor here? And the interim pastor there said the same thing. And so I went online, and I, I applied. And while I was online applying for that church on Whidbey Island, there was a, I saw another church on another island that also needed a pastor. And so I applied for both. Well, why? Why would I apply for both? Well, to be honest... There are not many churches today that want a 60-year-old pastor. Uh, you have to be honest. Most churches today want someone between 30, maybe 40, 45, but you get close to 50, and for whatever reason, uh, they want someone that's uh, younger, all tatted up with skinny blue jeans and spiked hair. <laughs> At my age, we don't have tattoos. I can't fit into skinny jeans, and most of us are losing our hair. Old pastors are often, after 50, are put out to pasture, no no pun intended. In fact, I was told by a leading consultant with the, with the EV Free Church that with my experience and at my age, probably the best thing you can hope for is to be an interim, be a substitute pastor, to fill in for a little while and then basically fill in, build up, and then get out. And I thought, okay, well, maybe that's what the Lord is calling me to do. But to my surprise, uh, both churches responded at the same time. Both doors opened almost at the same time. Uh, over the next couple of weeks, both churches accepted and approved my application. I was thinking, this is great. I'm, it's nice to be wanted. Both churches immediately uh, lined up interviews with their uh, respective uh, pastoral search committees just a few days apart. Uh, both did the extensive vetting of the background uh, of us to make sure I wasn't a serial killer or on the witness protection program. I was able to keep that uh, under wraps. And uh, I spent hours doing evaluation and personality tests and all that. Found out I had a personality. Praise God for that. <laughs> and then amazingly, at the same time, both churches, within a few days of each other, extended their call uh, for me to come and, and be the pastor. So now what do I do? Again, it's nice to be wanted. Uh, but after much prayer, Margie and I felt the Lord calling us uh, to accept the call at Anderson Island Christian Fellowship. And the promised land that God prepared for us turned out to be a great church on a beautiful island. You've got to come up. We'll, we've got four bedrooms. We'd love to entertain and, and, and just come on up. But we're up in the Pacific Northwest, and uh, we uh, are now in the state of Washington. We're still in a state of culture shock. It's a whole different planet. Uh, we love it, but it's different than South Orange County. When you've been in South Orange County for 50 years, like Margie and I, and suddenly you find yourself on a remote island up in the Northwest, the culture's different. The people are different. They're wonderful, but it is different. I felt like I was on the, 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 the backside of Mars for a little while. But we adjusted, and we've served there now for the past three years. 
and God has richly uh, blessed our, our ministry there, and we praise God for that. God is so faithful. God is so good. I always close with an application real quickly, and here's my challenge. It's actually the same challenge I left this church with four years ago. I'd like to strongly consider getting rid of the useless baggage that's ripping you off and robbing you of your faith and joy. Consider doing that. Someone put it this way, decide to, to dump the useless baggage of life and reflect more on the Lord, which will help stop our freedom from being corroded by the banality of, of consumerism, by the blare of commercials, the stream of empty words, the overpowering waves of, em, of empty chapter, uh, chatter, and, and loud shouting. In other words, let it all go. And we totally agree. What do you need to do? To possibly downsize or maybe ruthlessly eliminate hurry and stuff from your life altogether. For us, it was the bondage of a lot of things, the big mortgage payment, that, uh, the college debt that we had from our kids, the busyness, the busyness. Somebody said one time, the enemy of spirituality is, is, is busyness. We're so busy. That kept us from being in real community where we, we were totally free to love God and love people. Now, yours might be different. Maybe it's a relationship that you need to let go of. That relationship is dragging you down and robbing you of your faith and joy. Maybe it's a job or an activity that you've just lost your passion for. It's not worth it. It's not worth it. I don't care how much money is in it. Maybe it's a dream that you're still pursuing that you have to let go because it's not God's dream. Maybe you need to pray for new dreams, that God would give you new dreams to dream. Maybe it's that future security that you think you need in that retirement plan or that investment that's keeping you in a bondage to fear. There's a lot of fear today. Boy, this pandemic of the last year and a half, the fear, the panic has risen to the surface on every single level. Maybe God is asking you to let some things go. Let it go. It's not worth it. In John 10.10, Jesus said, The thief only comes to steal and to kill and to destroy. That's what Satan's job description is in your life. To steal, to kill, and to destroy. Jesus said, I come that you might have life and that you might have it more abundantly. It's all about Jesus. Uh, the abundant life is far more than just increasing its speed and just accumulating more stuff. And that seems to be all that we were doing, and maybe you're doing it as well. Just going faster and faster and accum accumulating more stuff and junk in our lives. The abundant life is all about my second point, and that is maintaining a transformed heart in Christ. It's all about Jesus. I mean, really, that's the reason we're here, right? That's the whole reason we're still alive on this planet. It's all about Jesus. Philippians chapter 3, verse 8 brings clarity to this truth. When Paul says this, he says, I count all things, all things to be lost in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, from whom I, must, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them but rubbish that I may gain Christ. That word rubbish in the Greek is skobolion, and it's a strong word. It literally means dung. It means basically the excrement of an animal. In other words, Paul is saying here that in comparison to the surpassing value of knowing Jesus Christ, everything else in all of life is worth nothing more than what you would scoop up in a doggy bag. Now, that may sound kind of crude, but that's exactly what Paul is saying here. It's all worthless waste. That car you drive, that house you live in, even the relationships you might have with, with family and friends can never compare or even come close to the value the amazing grace and forgiveness and eternal life that we're given in that love relationship with Jesus Christ. 
Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Don't lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will make your path straight. Isaiah 26, 3. The steadfast of mind you will keep in perfect peace because he trusts in you. How's your peace this morning? How's your joy? How's your faith? All of life will soon be past, right? Only what's done for Christ will last. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, Lord, we're reminded this morning again of how our life is but a vapor. It appears for a little while, but like a mist in the morning, it disappears. And Father, I pray that you would help us to keep our eyes, our focus on you, the author and perfecter of our faith, that we might grow to be all that you've called us to be in the short time that we're here. And life is truly short. Help us not to be so distracted by the stuff in our lives and the busyness in our lives. Help us, Father, to to be in tune with, with where you would have us to go and who you would have us to be. Help us to be in step with your drumbeat, not our own. I pray that you would continue to bless, guide, and direct us. Fill us with your spirit. Apart from you, we can do nothing. Help us to be open to change, to transitions, Lord, that you have called us to to be in. And, uh, Lord, we want to, again, be in step with you. May the words of our mouth, the meditations of our heart, always be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, for you are our rock and you are our redeemer. And it's in Jesus' precious name we pray and all God's children said, Amen. amen.